We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, March the 4th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend series, Gamecocks hosting the Mercer Bears at Founders Park Friday at 4 o'clock, Saturday at 4, and Sunday at noon. We'll talk about it all, break it all down. We'll talk the Mercer Bears, their pitchers, their hitters. We'll talk South Carolina, what to watch for, key player of the weekend. I'll give my prediction much, much more from there as Gamecocks baseball looks to stay perfect early in the 2021 baseball season. Also, we've got your listener questions, and we got a fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks golfer Matt Neesmith joins us. Awesome conversation there, guys. we got a pack show here on a Thursday and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company, by the way. They are a moving services company and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They are founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. But of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. Guys, I'm Chris Phillips, host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We got a packed show talking Carolina baseball 
here on a Thursday as we break down the weekend series at Founders Park this weekend. Gamecocks taking on the Mercer Bears in a three-game series Friday at 4 o'clock, Saturday also at 4, and then Sunday at noon. Guys, again, thank you so much tuning in, whether you're in the office, on the commute, you're on your break, you're off today, whatever it may be. Thank you so much for taking your time to tune in enjoy the show and again, we've got a good one. It's a beautiful day in the city right now. I'm having a great day myself. we got some great interviews lined up today, coming next week as well. The content is rolling. I know we're at the tail end of basketball season. We're wrapping that up. But again, Gamecocks baseball in full swing. And it's funny, I was thinking about this while I was making my notes and putting everything together. You know, this is not the last non-conference weekend before SEC play, but it might as well be, right? Like, we might as well just count Texas as an SEC series because you got Texas next weekend, and then you're rolling an SEC play with Vandy, Florida, Georgia. It's like this has a different – you're not looking ahead of Mercer or anything like that because, again, Mercer are a really good ball club. We're going to break them down in just a second. But, uh, you know, this is sort of the last series before things really, really kick into gear. This season, if that makes sense. But again, guys, excited to talk kind of baseball. Appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you so much for taking your time to show love to the content, consume the content, everything else. Let's go ahead without further ado and dive right into it. Again, we're breaking down this weekend series. Gamecocks hosting the Mercer Bears. Again, the games are all three at Founders Park. Friday at 4 o'clock, Saturday at 4 o'clock, and Sunday at noon. And again, if you didn't know, that Friday game, yes, was slated originally to be a 7 o'clock first pitch. That one got moved up. I think if you look at the weather, I think it was pretty smart. The weather's going to be pretty good this weekend, but a high of like 56 or 57 or something like that. Low of 38. I guess they figure they want to try to get that game in before it gets too chilly in Columbia. And I know some of you hardos out there will say, oh, they should just play in the cold. But for someone like me who's going to be there, I genuinely do appreciate it that they want to get us out of there before it gets too cold at Founders Park. As far as TV is concerned, guys, Friday and Saturday on SEC Network plus Sunday, actually the SEC Network games, the Gamecocks getting their Sunday game on the big channel. The SEC Network will host that one Sunday at noon. So again, great stuff for fans that maybe either don't have SEC Network plus or just want to be able to tune in on the normal network. Going to be some great exposure for Gamecocks baseball on that Sunday. Mercer guys hailing from the SOCON, their head coach, Craig Gibson, uh, in 2020, the Bears went 13-3, and got off to a really, really hot start. They were picked to finish second in the SOCON this year. However, it's been a rough start to the 2021 baseball season for Mercer. They're 3-4 and four right now and are actually on a four-game losing streak. Mercer opened the season with a three-game sweep over Jackson State. Um, they then lost in the midweek, respectively, though, at Georgia Tech 7-3. to And this past weekend, dropping all three games – to Southern Illinois and dropping all three games at home, guys. They lost Friday 17 to 7, Saturday 11 to 5, and then Sunday 5 to 2, all to Southern Illinois. They had a midweek game as well at Florida State Tuesday, but that game was postponed. So again, Mercer a team looking to snap out of a funk, again, a four game losing streak, and they'll look to do that against a red hot Gamecock squad that obviously comes into this weekend at a perfect seven. And, oh, let's break down the Bears, guys. We'll start on the mound. We'll start with the Mercer pitchers. And the first note is this. Left-handed pitcher Tanner Hall. That was a big name for Mercer. A guy last year went 3-1 and one with a 2.55 ERA. Senior southpaw, 87-90 with the fastball. Three-pitch mix. Leads their staff. But he has not thrown a single inning this year. Now, I tried to look it up and Google it. I could not find. I'm assuming he's out with an injury. 
which is obviously a big blow to Mercer, and it has taken a major toll on the Bears pitching staff. Garrett Delano, another nice piece for them in the back end. Josh Farmer, uh, another really good piece. He's also started some in the midweek as well. But right now it is the pitching, I would say, that's letting Mercer down a 5.23 team ERA, um, which, again, it's only a seven-game sample size. But when you're talking about a, a Mercer pitching staff that – was pretty damn good on the mound last year. Again, Mercer was 13-3, and three, so again, a 16-game sample size only. But their only losses were at Florida State, and they lost twice to West Virginia. They led the SOCON through 16 games in pitching with a 2.69 ERA, and they hit 271 with 15 home runs, which was second. But a 2.69 ERA a year ago, uh, leading the SOCON this year, 5.23 team ERA through just seven games. You take a look at their starting rotation. Friday, they're going to go right-handed pitcher Jackson Kelly, one-on-one with a 5.19 ERA. Saturday, they'll go right-handed pitcher Taylor Lobus, one-on-one with a 5.56 ERA. And then Sunday, left-handed pitcher Fred Wilson, he is also one-on-one with a 5.68 ERA. So again, you take a look at those stats and those ERAs, it seems like all three guys have struggled, um, and they all feature similar stuff, especially Lobus and the Saturday guy. Um, or excuse me, Kelly and then Lobus. Lobus is the Saturday guy. Kelly is the Friday guy. I'm um, going to take a look at a guy like Lobus, 87 or 90 with the fastball. All these guys kind of sitting in that 87 or 90 range. And then you have the youngster that is Fred Wilson, the lefty. He's actually a true freshman. Uh, for the Bears. So again, they're trying to figure things out on the mound. As far as the hitting side of things, let's move to the Mercer hitters. A 272 team batting average through seven games. They also have 12 home runs in seven games. So there is pop in that Mercer lineup. When you take a look at players to watch for for the Bears, you have to start with outfielder Colby Thomas. Guys, this was a dude that was highly, highly regarded. And people are really excited about coming in this season. Last year was hitting 333. He led the conference with five homers and nine doubles a year ago as a true freshman. So far this season, um, off to a little bit of a slower start, 267 average, but two home runs, six RBIs. Definitely somebody at the top of that Mercer lineup they will be depending on. Next guy for me is infielder Trevor Austin, leading this team right now on average, 429 with four RBIs for the Bears. And then you look at another infielder, R.J. Yeager, hitting 348, one homer, four RBIs. He's also two for two, leads the Bears in that category in regards to stolen bases, and is a true, a junior, is a true leader, a real glue guy for this team. What I mean is he makes this thing go for the Mercer Bears. He's one of those dudes that, again, leads this ball club and really, really gets them going offensively. Um, but again, a lot of talented players. And this is a solid Mercer squad for sure. Do not be fooled by the record. Again, obviously three and four on that four-game losing streak. But do not be fooled by the record. Again, this is a team that was picked to finish second in the SOCON. They feature a lot of talented players, and I think they're still figuring things out on the mound after losing Tanner Hall. But uh, the pieces are there. I think the pieces are there for Mercer. And this is a team that always seems to rise to the occasion and step up their level um, you know, step up their level of play when they take on bigger competition. And of course, South Carolina would fall into that category. All right, let's shift gears and talk specifically about the Gamecocks and what we're looking for this weekend against Mercer. Of course, Gamecocks are all at the same rotation. They had the first two weekends with right-handed pitcher Thomas Farr, right-handed pitcher Brandon Jordan, and then left-handed pitcher Julian Bosnick will go on Sunday. What to watch for for this weekend, guys? Let's start with this. Again, the chase... 
for perfection. South Carolina coming in this one, like I said, 7-0 overall. Vibes have been great. Morale's extremely high. You swept your rival. You got a big one in the midweek. Can the Gamecocks stay perfect? And just to play devil's advocate, but like I told you guys, you know, South Carolina baseball is not going to go undefeated. Of course, I'm not saying anything crazy or outlandish or anything like that. But without, you know, and here's the thing. I know this team is not doing this, but the beauty is this, is fans – we're allowed to look ahead. You know, we can look ahead to what lies next weekend or the following weekend or a month from now or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, we're just we're just looking at this thing from the outside perspective. <clears throat> Obviously, with that big series next weekend at Texas, I know fans, and I'm the same way, would love to see an undefeated Gamecocks baseball team roll into Austin. And again, obviously, the spotlight would be on that series. And, and I mean, hey, you, you don't even have to – you don't have to write the storylines for that one. They're already written pretty much. But that chase for perfection, again, you never want to go into a series saying, oh, you know, if we lose a game, it's okay as long as we win two out of three. The goal is, like, like Mark Kingston says, you want to go 1-0 and every single day. Can South Carolina, though, continue to stay perfect? Again, I think they're just one of, like, maybe 15 teams that are actually still perfect on this 2021 baseball season. Again, it's very early, obviously. But that chase for perfection, 7-0 right now, can the Gamecocks find themselves at 10-0 after this weekend? Because, again, that, that first loss, it's going to come at some point. And I want people to come to grips with that and understand that. Again, I'm not saying be okay with losing and expect to lose or anything like that, but it's baseball. The game is random. They're going to happen. Losses are going to happen. The game is just flat out too random. But again, South Carolina, with, I believe with the opportunity to get yet another sweep, I think they have the opportunity to stay perfect and, and go a perfect 3-0 this weekend. Can Will they do it? That's the question. We know they can do it, but will they do it? Can South Carolina move to 10-0 after this weekend? And again, continue to carry that momentum. I'm um, going to be really interesting to see. Another key thing I'll be watching for, and, and I moved to the mound here for South Carolina. I think this is a really, really big start for Brandon Jordan on Saturday. Uh, listen, I, I feel really good about this Gamecock starting rotation. Uh, Thomas Farr, I mean, easily has solidified himself as your Friday night guy, by far features the best stuff and, and, and is a bulldog out there and a competitor and everything you want in a Friday night guy. And again, he's pitched lights out for you. Julian Bosnick, both times he's gotten the ball, again, he pitched that Sunday game against Dayton before having to be removed with the blister and then pitched against Clemson and threw really, really well. I feel good about him as, in regards to solidifying his status in the weekend rotation. I like Brandon Jordan a lot. I'm a Brandon Jordan guy. I like his game. Again, I think he's another, another guy that is a competitor and he battles for you. But when you take a look at this South Carolina pitching staff and the depth and the talent you have, and I think specifically the name that jumps out to me is a guy like Will Sanders. Guys, I told you all in the preseason I would not be shocked at all if Will Sanders got an opportunity at some point to pitch on the weekend for South Carolina. And he's been absolutely lights out anytime he has gotten the ball for the Gamecocks. Brandon Jordan in his first two starts. Yes, he's done some nice things, but certainly it's been a struggle. Has not made it to the fifth inning yet, or made it out of the fifth inning, I should say, for South Carolina. Like I said after the Clemson game last weekend, you know, the first two outings of the season, I said, were very on-brand, quote-unquote, for Brandon Jordan. Well, here's the problem with that. When your brand becomes, you know, stressful innings, stressful pitches, um, having to work your way and navigate your way out of trouble constantly. You know, at some point, the dam is going to break. At some point, you know, it's kind of like having that bend but don't break defense in football. You know, at some point, 
it's going to break. And again, I, you know, you heard Mark Kingston talk about this as well last weekend. I like Brandon Jordan a lot. I think he's a good arm for you. And again, as long as he gets ahead in the count and he throws strikes, he has the stuff. He, he has the stuff to have a lot of success and be successful. But again, this is your last weekend before things really kick into gear. And that's no disrespect to Mercer or any other team the Gamecocks have played at this point. But again, nobody would debate that things certainly amp up going into next season when you or next, excuse me, next weekend when you have Texas and then you have Vanderbilt and then you have Florida and you get going with SEC play. You need to have your three starters on the weekend established. And I just, you know, I think to myself, you know, if Brandon Jordan goes back out there yet again and, and only goes four and a third or four innings and, and has four or five walks and, and, and we see, even if he only gives up a run or two, but if we see him struggle and kind of struggle to navigate his way against a Mercer ball club, you know, at some point, Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead and that crew, they're going to hand the ball over to Will Sanders. They're going to give somebody else a chance. Maybe they slide Julian Bosnick up to the Saturday role and they, 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 they move Brandon Jordan back. Or, again, they give the ball to somebody else. So, again, I think this is a really, really big start for Brandon Jordan. Again, I'm not saying that if he does struggle a little bit that you, you, know, you totally throw in the towel and just, just give up on the kid or anything. But I just think this is really important for Jordan overall in regards to how we feel about this starting rotation. Because, again, right now, I feel really good about Thomas Farr, and I feel really good about Julian Bosnick. But what does Brandon Jordan give you on Saturday? Again, that, that's been sort of the piece for me that we really – we haven't – I have not seen what I've wanted to see out of Brandon Jordan yet. And, again, I, I'm not questioning the kid. I think – I know for a fact he's got – you know, high-level talent, high-level stuff for sure. And I think he can be a big piece for Carolina. He can be that Saturday guy. But you need to see him sort of get in a groove, get in a rhythm, find it, if you will, and start to build some consistency. So he's a guy you can depend on when you go into next weekend against Texas and then you go into SEC play. Um, speaking of that, speaking on the mound, another thing I'll be watching for is how this team continues to define roles in the bullpen. And, and it's, you know – I. It's a good and bad thing that we're talking about this. It's a good thing because you have so many dudes who are capable. You have so much depth that you got a lot of guys, like I said in the preseason, you have a lot of quality arms battling for a limited number of innings. That's a great problem to have. But it's kind of bad because, you know, there are certain guys, I think specifically, and I hate to call him out, but Danny Lloyd. You know, Danny Lloyd's a guy that I really thought – you know, was going to be a, a solidified piece of your bullpen and a guy that, you know, was going to be someone you could depend on. And, you know, obviously he struggled against Clemson, um, didn't have his best outing against Winthrop either. Now you start to wonder, I mean, what's going on with Danny Lloyd? Is he somebody you can depend on? Is he going to lose a job? Again, going into Texas, going into SEC play, you've got to sort of come to a conclusion of, okay, these are going to be our six or seven guys we're going to roll with each and every single weekend. These are the guys we're depending on. I think right now, just you know, on top of the leaderboard, on top of the leaderboard, if you will, to get innings, I would say Will Sanders. I would say you know Jack Mahoney. I would say Brett Carey. I would say uh, I was going to say Bosnick, but of course he's going to be starting. Um, you know, I, I would say Jackson Phipps. I would say Josiah Seitler. That's six. Um, and then you start looking at guys like Cam Tringali. I know he struggled against Winthrop. What can he do? Maybe Parker Coyne, who had a solid clean inning for you. Mag Cotto, of course. Can't believe I skipped over his name. But you're going to have to start narrowing it down. Like, which guys do we really feel comfortable with that we can depend on? And, you know, Travis Loon's been another guy. Which guys do we feel really comfortable that we can depend on? And which guys are we sort of up in the air about? Because, again, 
this weekend, I'm going to get to this in just a second. This is the weekend, another weekend like this to kind of iron out the kinks and figure things out and determine which guys are your dudes and which ones are a little bit more of a risk. So defining roles in the bullpen, giving, you know, this is really the last weekend I'd say where you're giving guys quote unquote chances, if you will, to win jobs. And again, I use Danny Lloyd as an example, and I think he can be a big part of this Gamecocks bullpen, but you got to figure it out. You know what I mean? You got to figure it out and you got to define roles. And again, I think this will be another weekend of doing that for South Carolina. Um, something else I'm watching for sticking on the mound, the return of Boz. Again, Julian Bosnick, a guy that, uh, you know, you didn't get the Sunday game or you didn't get game three, I should say, last weekend against Clemson. So Julian Bosnick did not get to start for you. So this will be the first time we see Bosnick go, at least in a starting role, since that first weekend against Dayton when he had nine strikeouts through three and a third innings and obviously left the game early due to a blister. Really excited to see what he can give you, obviously, again, um, in that starting role. Um, he's still got something to prove, I would say, because, again, he's only had that one start. But a guy that has just dominated when he's taken him out. I mean, he did it against Clemson, did it against Dayton. Um you got to feel really good about what he gives you if you're a Gamecocks fan. Of course, having that southpaw, you know, having that lefty. Um, it's been a long time coming for Carolina. I feel like it's been forever since there's been a lefty, been a southpaw in the weekend rotation. But the return of Bosnick, how does he fare? Again, coming out there Sunday at noon, there will be a little pressure because it's on SEC Network, you know, televised, whatever. Um, but Julian Bosnick getting his opportunity against the Mercer Bears, how does he fare on Sunday. Let's move to the plate, guys, and what I'm watching for. Um, and this one's sort of funny, so please don't get upset about it, but it's sort of meant as a joke. Um, can Wes Clark snap out of his slump, if you will? And <laughs> I say slump in quotations, by the way, because this is a guy, you know, went 0 for 3 against Winthrop, and he's now hitting a measly 500, right? Uh, it's so funny. Again, Wes Clark goes 0 for 3, and, and he's all of a sudden in a slump. But what does Wes Clark do, and how does Mercer – attack this guy again in a non-conference series you know are they going to pitch around him are they just going to put him on I don't think so I, I think they'll try to pitch to him and I think they'll try to go after him and obviously we know what Wes Clark has done we know his capabilities and I'd expect him to have at least one home run this weekend but uh continuing to see Clark stay hot you know I think the most encouraging thing though you know over this past week was or you know against Winthrop is you scored 19 runs and he did go over three so it just goes to show you that you have other options. You have other guys that can contribute. You have the other guys that can that can make a big impact, that can help you, that can score runs, that can drive the ball to the ballpark. But, uh, you know, having Wes Clark, your three-hole hitter, having him do his thing obviously is going to help you out tremendously. So, uh, like I said, can Wes Clark snap out of his quote-unquote slump? <laughs> you know, like I said, hitting a measly 500 now. I don't know how he's going to make a living off of that, hitting 500. But uh, what does Wes Clark have in store for this weekend that's the big question again he's the guy that still everyone is watching at this point uh, another thing I'll be watching for Jeff Heinrich his help um obviously rolled his ankle in the Clemson weekend and Joe Satterfield the beneficiary of that in regards to getting an opportunity and boy did he take advantage of it against Winthrop had five RBIs how much does Satterfield play this weekend but Jeff Heinrich uh his help how is the ankle you know is he how close is he to coming back do we see him back on the field at all this weekend you know, it's an unfortunate situation because from what I heard, he actually got hurt and rolled his ankle in the celebration on Saturday after Carolina beat Clemson. So, you know, never a way you want to get hurt. That obviously sucks. But, uh, you know, again, it gives other guys opportunities and, and which, you know, I say is only a positive, but what is his health like? What is the status of Jeff Heiner? Again, that is definitely a key piece 
for this Gamecocks baseball team. Another thing I'm watching for, guys, is just overall, um, there's a lot of guys we could talk about, but overall, do the bats stay red hot? Again, South Carolina, you, you are tearing the cover off of the baseball right now. And again, we, we saw that change a little bit, I guess, against Clemson when the when the the competition got elevated a little bit. But either you know, even with that, I'd say Sunday you, you hit the ball extremely hard. But uh, do the bats stay red hot? Uh, again, this is a team that's going to that's going to win a lot of games with its offense. I feel really good about the pitching staff, but you know, it's no secret this team's got a bunch of bashers. I mean, one through nine can beat you. We talked about it all preseason, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it play out on the field. Can the bats stay red hot? And again, that matchup against this Mercer pitching staff. Again, they've lost four in a row. They got a 5-2-3 team ERA. They're getting hit, hit around all over the yard. All three of their weekend starters have ERAs over five. So you would think this is the perfect opportunity for this South Carolina lineup to keep things rolling, keep it going, and uh, have some fun at the plate this weekend to hit the ball all over the yard at Founders Park. Um can the bats stay red hot for South Carolina again? You want to carry as much momentum because you got this series against Mercer. You've got Citadel next week in the midweek. And then you've got the Texas series. You know, you want to carry in as many good vibes, as much good mojo, as much momentum as you can when you go into a series like that. And again, not to look ahead too far, but again, taking care of business this weekend, continuing to have great approaches, continue to stick to what you've been doing and uh, scoring a lot of runs, scoring a lot of runs and helping out your pitching staff and helping out your ball club. Um, can the bats do that? Will they do that? Uh, it'll be interesting to see again, especially against a struggling Mercer pitching staff. Um, the final thing I'm watching for guys is this, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but with all due respect to the Mercer Bears and everyone South Carolina has played to this point, you know, things really kick into gear starting next weekend. When you have Texas on the road, then you go to Nashville and play Vandy, then you got Florida, then you got Georgia, and you get going into SEC play. This is truly the last weekend, I would say, to quote-unquote iron out the kinks, if you will. And again, that was with all due respect to Mercer. Mercer is a very high-quality ball club. I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm trying to insinuate anything other than that. Um, and this, this isn't a weekend where you're saying, oh, well, you know, let's just, let's just play whoever and let's iron out the kinks and let's use Mercer to improve. No, South Carolina needs to be locked in, focused, and, and focused on winning three ball games against a quality ball club in Mercer, for sure. But with that being said, you know, in the meantime, the ideal situation for Mark Kingston, Skylar Mead is, again, you're continuing to learn about yourself as a ball club. You know, who are the guys we can depend on out of the bullpen? Who are the guys we can depend on the starting rotation? Hey, when we put a guy in this situation, how does he react? We put a guy in that situation, how does he react? And again, using these non-conference series, and again, all while trying to win the ball game, but using these non-conference series to do that um, is very beneficial. And again, not just for South Carolina, but a lot of other big teams. And, uh, you know, this is truly, like I said, the last, because, you know, the last thing you want to do is go into Texas next weekend and still be trying to, you know, figure stuff out. Like, you, you don't know who your setup man is, or you're unsure about your closer, or, you know, you don't know about your Saturday guy, you know. And again, I'm not saying that South Carolina really has you know, those intensive questions, if you will. But I think there's certainly, we can all point out, there's still some things we want to see from this ball club. Again, we want to see an impressive start from Brandon Jordan. We want to see a guy like Danny Lloyd throw well and get it together. We want to see Brett Carey have a bounce-back performance from his performance against Clemson. And again, I thought he threw really well, but of course, giving up, blowing the save and giving up that home run, we want to see him come back and be the Brett Carey we all know and love. Um you know, we, we want to see other guys, you know, get in the lineup and, and take some hacks and, and, and show what they can do. 
So again, you're continuing to learn about yourself as a ball club. And again, with all due respect to the Mercer Bears, the competition jumps up for the rest of the year starting next weekend. This is your last weekend to really iron out the kinks, to use this as a weekend to find out who you are, guys you can depend on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it'll be interesting to see, again, what positions they put guys in, like I said, to see how does this guy react in this situation or how does this guy, what does he do in that situation and stuff like that. So, again, I think that's something you will see Mark Kingston, Skylar Mead, that crew. I think that's something you will see them do. And done again, all while trying to win the series and obviously take all three games from the Mercer Bears. All right, let's move into the key player for this weekend. And, again, I've talked about him a bunch, guys, but my key player this weekend is right-handed pitcher Brandon Jordan. And the reason I say Brandon is this. You know, without spoiling my prediction, which I'm about to get to in just a second, you know, I really thought to myself, you know, because the question is now becoming, what is the most likely first loss of the season for South Carolina baseball? Like, when is that that first loss most likely to come? Is it this weekend? Is it next weekend at Texas? You know, is it in the midweek? And it's a really good Citadel team. But when is that first loss going to come? And again, I think South Carolina, without a doubt, can sweep this weekend. There's, there's no question in my mind. But again, from what we've seen from Brandon Jordan in his first two starts, like I said, it's been very on-brand for Brandon Jordan. And what I mean by that is this. Even when he does not have his best stuff, and one of my favorite qualities about this kid, he's a guy who's going to compete. He's going to battle his tail off. And even when he doesn't necessarily have his best stuff on that day, he's going to give you a chance to win the ball game. He's going to fight scratch and claw to keep his team in the ball game, even if his stuff isn't there. The problem with that is this. At some point, you go from being a guy who, oh, he's just having an off day, he's just having an off day, to if you keep doing that over and over and over again, you know, all coaches want to see consistency, right? That's the number one thing. They just want to know when they hand you the baseball, we know who's going to go out there for us. We know who it's going to be when they take them out. Brandon Jordan is getting to the point where he's starting to have that consistency, but not in a positive way. You know, the consistent thing with Brandon Jordan outings is that they're very stressful. There's a lot of high-stress pitches. He throws a lot of pitches. He gets behind in the counts, and he's constantly having to battle back and, and try to get back in counts. And, and, and it just – he makes life really, really, really hard on himself. And that's why you don't see him go past the fifth inning very often. And, again, we saw him in a limited sample size last year. And, again, it's only been two starts for him this year. However, I, I think it's so important for Brandon Jordan – to get it going this weekend. Because, again, a guy like Will Sanders, guys, is waiting in the wings. I'm telling you right now, Will Sanders is your Friday night guy next year. I mean, this dude is going to be a legit big-time ball player. And, again, I'll be curious to see how long do Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead, how long do they watch it? You know, again, if Brandon Jordan goes out there and if he struggles, let's say he goes four innings, gives up two earned runs, but he has four walks and – and uh, he's falling behind hitters and kind of similar to what we saw in his first two starts. Do they continue to roll with him going into Texas, or do they give a guy like Sanders a shot? I, I, I think that's a reasonable question to be asking right now. And again, I like Brandon Jordan. I'm a big Brandon Jordan guy. I think the stuff is there. The kid throws the downward angle, has a real repeatable delivery. And when he's down in the zone and he's filling the zone up, he's as tough to hit as anybody the Gamecocks have. But he needs to show more consistency. And, again, I, I just think it starts this weekend for him. You know, you, you want to have good vibes and have momentum and feel good 
going into um you know going into that Texas series then going into SEC play you want to be feeling good going into that and again if South Carolina like I said the question is this you know when is South Carolina going to lose their first ball game like I said if you keep flirting with danger if you keep playing with fire the way that I feel like Brandon Jordan sometimes has had a tendency to do it's going to burn you at some point at some point the dam is going to break and to me when I look at this weekend series that's probably the most likely loss in my opinion is that Saturday game it's like I feel good that Thomas Farr is going to give you a strong six or seven I feel good about Julian Bosnick and what he's going to do what's Brandon Jordan going to give you I, I genuinely have no idea and again I think Jordan is the key player for this weekend, not just because of getting the win on Saturday, but really solidifying himself as that Saturday starter. Being able to solidify himself, himself, make Kingston, me, the fan base, everyone within the program feel good about his status as the Saturday starter. I think that's just so important. And again, this is your last weekend where it's like, you know, again, with all due respect to Mercer, um, with that competition raising next weekend, you don't want to have questions about your Saturday guy going into Texas. You don't. That's the last question you want to have. And, again, I hope to see it. I think he can do it, obviously. Will he do it? That's the question. But, again, my key player, Brandon Jordan, I just think it's so pivotal for him to, you know, have that first quality start of the 2021 season and get things rolling and get some momentum going into next weekend and beyond for the Gamecocks. All right, let's move into my – prediction guys like I said for this series South kind of coming in seven and0 looking to stay perfect and I've talked about this all week again to play devil's advocate and not to be negative but of course again it's baseball at some point South Carolina is going to lose a game and again of course morale is extremely high right now and everybody's fired up for baseball and we got fans talking about Omaha and, and this team you know you, you, fans feel like we're never gonna lose right <laughs> fans feel like we're never gonna lose and, and I want to say this Mercer is a high-quality ball club. Yes, they're off to a three-and-four start. Yes, they don't have their top starter in Tanner Hall, the lefty. Yes, they've been struggling on the mound. Yes, they're on a four-game losing streak. But this is still a high-quality club. They have got talented players. They give top teams a lot of trouble for whatever reason it is. Okay? They were picked second in the SOCON behind a damn good Samford team for a reason. So, I, I just want to make it clear. If South Carolina goes out and wins two out of three, if they lose a game, the season is not over. It does not mean South Carolina sucks. It does not mean that this team has any issues or anything. It's baseball. The game is ran. I, I, I want to go ahead and get that out there because I know that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, South Carolina fans, and hey, I'm kind of right there with you, but it's one extreme or the other, you know, and baseball is a marathon, not a sprint, as we all know. Now, with that being said, let's get that behind us. In regards to this series this weekend, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I, I initially came into this. I initially came into this thinking to myself, okay, I think if the, if the first loss is going to happen, it's going to happen this weekend. Again, I think Mercer's a quality club. They got a lot of talent and they play – they play top competition really, really tough. They do. Give Mercer credit. So I really expected myself to predict the Gamecocks to win two out of three and actually lose a game this weekend. However, taking a look at Mercer and, and just taking a look at the way the two ball clubs are trending and the way they're both playing. On one hand, you have the Mercer Bears. 
who, yes, they swept their opening weekend, but again, it was against what? Jacksonville State, I believe it was. Yeah, Jackson State, excuse me. And all due respect to Jackson State. They swept Jackson State and then again have lost four straight. And again, one of those was a competitive loss at Georgia Tech, but getting swept by Southern Illinois on your home field and giving up, giving up 33 runs in three games, might I add. So you've got Mercer and the way they're trending. And then you have South Carolina on the flip side, 7-0. and I mean, we all know, swept Dayton, took out Winthrop big in the midweek, swept your rival back-to-back, right? Swept your rival, destroyed Winthrop in the midweek. midweek. You sit at 7-0, and feeling great, right? Mercer, I think, is a really high-quality ball club. I, I really do think so, and I think the Bears will probably have a pretty damn good season. But as good as I think they are, it's just really tough for me when you factor all that in and you factor in Mercer's struggles on the mound. I mean, if you listen, if you're giving, and I know baseball, the transitive property does not work this way, right? But I mean, guys, if you're giving up 17, 11, if you're giving up 33 runs in a weekend to Southern Illinois, I mean, what is that Bears pitching staff going to do against the Gamecocks, against guys like Brady Allen, Braylon Wimmer, Andrew Eister, David Mendham, Wes Clark, Brennan Malone, Colin Burgess. The list goes on and on and on. What is that Mercer pitching staff going to do against that Gamecocks? How, how can they contain them? How can they handle them? And again, I feel extremely good about what Thomas Farr is going to give you Friday and what Julian Bosick is going to give you Sunday. The wild card, of course, the question would be Brandon Jordan. And I, and I do have a good feeling, by the way, guys, that Brandon Jordan will bounce back. I think he, he's too good not to. I, I think Brandon Jordan is too good of a player not to bounce back here. So I, I just think when you take a look at the matchup and South Carolina's big bats, they're big bashers at home. Again, I love the, the win anyway mentality. So if it's a close game, you feel good. I love the leadership on this team. I don't expect this team, of course, to be looking ahead or anything. Again, like Coach Kingston said, the goal is to go 1-0 and every single day, to win every game you play. This is not a team that will be caught looking ahead to Texas or looking ahead to SEC play or anything like that. I think they will be focused and locked in on the task at hand. Leaders like Brady Allen, Andrew Eister, Wes Clark, guys who have been through the ringer. They've been there, they've done that, and they understand the importance of these non-conference series. Mercer, again, like I said, high-quality ball club. But I just think the Gamecocks are literally playing on a different level right now. I think they're playing, you know, they're having a ton of fun. They're playing for one another. They're playing together. Um, The game is coming really easy to them right now. And, again, that's scary because we all know baseball is a very humbling game. Um, There are two types of people in the game of baseball, those who are humbled and those who are about to be, right? We've heard that saying before. Um. But this is a team that's playing with a ton of confidence. It it knows what it's good at. It knows its strengths. It it knows exactly what it wants to do. And it's having fun. It's just playing a game of baseball, and it's having a really good time. And, again, I came into this weekend thinking to myself, okay, I'm probably going to pick South Carolina to win just two of three and lose one of these three games because, again, Mercer is a quality club. But just, guys, the more I think about it, and, again, really Tanner Hall being out for them and the struggles they've had on the mound, and, again, Losers of four straight. How can you pick against South Carolina right now? How can you? 
how can you? The momentum, the way they're swinging it, the the depth in regards to pitching. I feel good about South Carolina. I do think the Gamecocks sweep yet again. And I think you're going to find Gamecocks baseball at 10-0 after this weekend, which, again, is crazy to say. Um, it's crazy to think, again, even the best teams in the country, this game is so random. Baseball is so, so random. So, again, going undefeated through 10 games, going on a 10-game winning streak, that's nothing to take lightly. I mean, that's impressive. Hell, the 7-0 starts damn impressive. But I, I just, with the, with the struggles Mercer's having on the mound, again, giving up 33 runs to Southern Illinois last weekend, I think the Gamecocks hitters will have a field day all weekend long. And again, I think you're going to get plenty on the bump. Big question for me, what does Brandon Jordan give you on Saturday? But again, I, I would not be shocked at all um, if he had a big-time bounce-back start for you. And I think that South Carolina will do enough. I think South Carolina will get the sweep. I, I would expect one of these games at least to be pretty damn close down to the wire. But again, this is a team has shown that, that, that win any way mentality. They will find a way to win. And with that being said, I have got South Carolina getting the sweep over the Mercer Bears to move to 10-0 and overall on the 2021 season. So with that being said, that's going to do it for our breakdown, our preview of this weekend series. Again, Gamecocks taking on the Mercer Bears Friday at 4, Saturday at 4, and then Sunday at noon. And those games, guys, you can find Friday and Saturday will be on SEC Network Plus. And then Sunday being on the big network on the SEC Network. South Ghana and Mercer will be played at noon on SEC Network Sunday afternoon. So should be a lot of fun. All right, guys, let's move into your listener questions. And then we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks golfer Matt Neesmith. And, of course, PGA Tour golfer now, uh, Matt Neesmith. Let me get these questions pulled up really quickly if I can find them. If I can just find the questions. Where are the questions, guys? <clears throat> And by the way, I will be at all three games this weekend. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, again, we'll be at all three. Should be a really fun weekend, a really good time. So if you're out there, say what's up. And uh, yeah, let's watch the Gamecocks get the sweep. All right, let's go into these questions real quick. Austin G underscore 45. Loving baseball right now, but with spring football approaching, what are you most excited for? Great question. Great question. Um, obviously, spring football just three weeks away. Um <sighs> Most excited for I me, mean, I think outside of, you know, it being Shane Beamer's first spring, and I'm, I'm definitely excited to see, are there going to be open practices, by the way? But uh, I think you got to go with the quarterback battle. I mean, that, that's always the one that moves the needle, right? That's always the one that, you know, all eyes are going to be on it is, you know, that, that battle between Luke Doty and Jason Brown and, and uh, you know, how does Jason Brown look? And it's going to be an even playing field because both guys, you know, learning Marcus Satterfield's system for the first time, um, you know, like I said, that's the one that really moves the needle. So I'll be interested to see that quarterback battle, how that shakes out in spring. But overall, just to get spring football back, again, for Shane Beamer to truly get his tenure going, I think it's something we're all looking forward to and really excited for, uh, like I said, as we get closer and closer to spring football. Um, TD Sims says, why the hell is Winthrop's bootleg ass not broadcasting this game? And, of course, you were talking about the Tuesday midweek game apparently D1 schools in 2021 still don't have streaming capabilities. I have no idea why. Um, CP3 underscore presents underscore. Did you see those Clemson fans after the game talking about wait till football season? LOL, they are mad. Yeah, that sounds about right for Clemson fans. I mean, what, what do you really expect 
from people with with like a single brain cell like Clemson fans have. So, dude, I just laugh it off. They're just pissed off because we whooped that ass on the baseball field. Uh, last question here, and a very interesting one at that. Krusty Andy says, what are your intentions for, quote, she who shall not be named? Krusty Andy, you're, you're asking some very tough questions right now. And I, and I will say this, um, I plead the fifth. And uh, when speaking of her, when speaking of she, uh, I will keep those files tucked away. I will keep that a secret. And uh, I'll just say, you know, if you're at Founders Park, maybe you will catch she who shall not be named alongside me. Maybe you won't. I don't know. She may never come back to a game with me ever again, but uh, maybe she will. So it's a mystery. It's, it's a mystery. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it a mystery. I'm going to keep it a mystery from you guys. Um, I'll keep those files tucked away. I'll keep those secrets to myself. And uh, I don't know, maybe you guys will find out down the road, but uh, I don't know, Krusty Andy. You'll, just, you'll have to guess in regards to my intentions for she who shall not be named. It's interesting to see she who shall not be named has taken on a, a little bit of a life of its own, if you will. Um, so, yeah, like I said, you'll uh, maybe, maybe catch me at Founders Park and you, you can get some more some more intel on that. You never know. You never know. We'll see. All right, guys. Been a great show. We got a great conversation as well, so don't go anywhere. Former Gamecocks golfer Matt Neesmith and per- current PGA Tour pro Matt Neesmith. And also, by the way, selfishly an awesome interview because the first time I've ever had a fellow North Augusta alumni. In case you guys didn't realize, yes, I went to North Augusta High School. Matt Neesmith also did as well. I actually graduated with Matt's brother, um, so really good stuff talking about his career at South Carolina, getting the PGA tour, getting his card, um, navigating through COVID, all that stuff. So again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll have a lot more on the show tomorrow. Of course, the daily crow. And again, all three baseball games this weekend. But in the meantime, uh, thank you guys so much for the love support, sharing the content, showing love to the content. It obviously means the world. Now sit back, relax, enjoy, enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks golfer and current PGA tour pro Matt Neesmith. <laughs> All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks Golf from 2012 to 2016. And he has too many accolades to even read them all off. But something I do want to mention, the first Gamecock in program history named Ping First Team All-American in 2016. He then turned pro in 2016, late 2019, got his PGA Tour card. And as recently as this year, his best results tied seventh at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, tied eighth at the Shriners. Tied 15th at the RSM Classic. He's also 142nd in the overall world golf rankings and 52nd in the FedEx Cup rankings. Again, very pleased to be joined. And by the way, maybe most notably, most importantly, a fellow North Augusta Yellow Jacket like yours truly, Matt Neesmith, joining the show. Matt, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, my friend. Yeah, thanks, man. I've been been following you for a long time, and I'm I'm very I'm very happy to be on the show and. Uh, Talk to you about some Gamecock football, Gamecock golf, Gamecock basketball, anything you want to go with. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking to myself, I think you're the third Gamecock golfer or Gamecock golf alum, what have you, that we've had on. We obviously had Wesley Bryant. That's the big one, right? We all, we all know yep. about Wesley. But had Billy Mack on way back in the day. This was like, man, like summer of 18 or something, <laughs> 19, something like that. But again, uh, Matt, appreciate you taking the time again. I want to go back to the beginning for you because, like I said, and I wasn't joking. I mean, the the accolades, you know, especially in golf, you play so many tournaments, but obviously you've had a really, really successful career, and especially at South Carolina. And I mean, you literally look down these awards. We could spend like ten minutes just going down them all. But let's go back to the beginning again. One of North Augusta's finest. Um, like I said, the first time I've ever had a fellow Yellow Jacket on the show. But 
Talk about, again, I, I know recruiting in golf is a lot different. It starts really, really early. And, and just kind of talk about the process for you because it's interesting. Like when you're part of a, a golf team, if you will, like in high school, even middle school, mm-hmm. like it's a team sport in that, but it's such an individual sport, obviously, as you're seeing now at the pro level. Just talk about the recruiting process, the schools that popped up, and then eventually why you chose South Carolina. Yeah, um, it does start extremely early. I mean, you're, you're very right about that. It starts super early. I was getting, I was starting to get stuff around eighth grade, ninth grade, and then I was committed right at the end of my sophomore year of high school. I mean, it was a long drawn out process of kind of that part, right? That part in the recruiting aspect of it. And then you just sit there and wait for two or three years to kind of go to the school that you committed to. But um, I, I kind of wanted to stay closer to home. I was a big I was, I'm kind of a homebody. I didn't want to go somewhere where I was going to fly there and then not come home for four months and stuff like that. So I was, I was kind of always down to Georgia, South Carolina and Clemson. And unfortunately I grew up a Georgia fan. I know, (laughs) I know that's, uh, that's hard to believe, but I I grew up a Georgia fan. um, But Billy Mack just kind of stole, stole all my, all my love for, for schools and everything. Billy Mack is one of my, is one of my mentors. He was, Mm -hmm one of the best coaches I'd ever had still one of the best coaches I'd ever had a great friend. I still talk to him. I talked to him yesterday about the team going to the LSU invitational. And it's, he was, he, he was kind of the reason I, I chose South Carolina. I, I mean, I wasn't really big into campuses and really finding stuff like that. I was big into what golf was going to lead to and who I thought could make me the best player that I could turn into. And I thought Billy Mack could lead me down that path. And I grew a huge, huge love for the university and the, after I committed to South Carolina and then going into school that I never thought I really could. Cause I, I, I played all my golf in Aiken growing up. I was, uh, I went to North Augusta, but I never really had a huge love for, I never really felt that school passion. And then for high school. And then I went through the recruiting process and I was a Georgia fan, but then I, I really liked South Carolina. So I kind of lost my football ways and, and who, and like watching football and kind of my ties to any kind of school there. And then, once I committed and once I kind of started to dive into South Carolina, my passion really grew for, for the university and the school. Yeah, for sure. I, I want you to expand on Billy Mack. Cause like I said, I was able to get him on the show a couple summers ago and he's an awesome dude. I mean, absolute character. Um, but it's interesting again, you know, people think about the sport of golf and again, it's such an individual sport, but you do have this coach, if you will, which I'm, I'm assuming it depends on the guy, you know, some guys you want to be hands on with and get in their ear and some guys you just leave alone and you kind of let them do their thing. What type of yep. role did he have for you? Are you more of a guy you like your coach? And I, I know I was reading up, obviously your father had a big role in your golf career and yes. was kind of your coach growing up, if you will. Are you more of a guy that you like your swing coach to be really, really hands on and, and like every other swing is like telling you this and that? or are you kind of a hey let me do my thing and we'll evaluate end of round or end of tournament well I I wouldn't say it's more so about swing and technique and stuff like that I was I liked hands-on I think Bill I think Billy Mack walked almost every hole with me for probably my last two years of school um he I I I like the camaraderie I like being able to talk whether it's about football or golf or movies that are coming out or cars or whatever I just I like, I like being able to just kind of ramble. Um, it's just, it's kind of my nature. It's how I decompress. It's how I kind of get out nerves. I just like to talk and I like to talk about all sorts of things. And Billy Mack was great at being able to kind of shut off within kind of between shots. But then when you needed to kind of lock in and we were talking about numbers and yardages, it made everything really clear to me on what we were trying to do. And that really taught me a ton about my own golf game. 
especially when I was getting out and going into kind of mini tour golf and I was by myself and stuff like that. I really needed, I really kind of lent on what he had taught me from school and what we used to talk about. And I still do to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an invaluable kind of piece of the puzzle that really, really helped me kind of grow and turn into, turn into the player that I am now. But I, I did like having the hands-on feel, whether it wasn't really that technique oriented, but it was, if, but if it needed to be, it, it needed to be, I mean, sometimes you go out there and you're going to struggle. I mean, I didn't hit it that good for four or five holes. And then you're like, Hey, we've been working on this for, for a while. What do you see? What do you think I need to try to try and get through this round and try and figure out how to shoot a good number out here? And he was, and he was instrumental in kind of, in kind of changing that aspect for me, but he, I do like the hands-on. I like being able to, to talk to him and stuff like that. Right. No, for sure. So I, I want to jump to your your freshman year, your first year on campus, Matt, because you hit the ground running, uh, named Ping Honorable Mention All-American, you know, SEC co-freshman of the year. You were named uh, three-time SEC freshman of the week. I, I'm curious, again, because at the end of the day, you know, you feel like golf is golf. Obviously, the pressure ratchets, ratchets up a little bit, and the courses are a little bit nicer, and they're probably a little bit tougher, I'd imagine, too. But, you know, you obviously transitioned very smoothly. But what, what was there a transition for you? Maybe it was, you know, living on your own or like the college life or like, you know, that, that grind, if you will, of college golf versus high school golf. Like, was there a transition for you? And again, what do you think made you so successful early on? Uh, well, yeah, there was absolutely a transition. You go from your, uh, from living with your parents and practicing mm-hmm. after school and this, that, and the other to being able to set your own schedule and every, we have team practice and, and it's not like team practice in high school, team practice in high school is just kind of show up and, play nine holes or just kind of hang out and do whatever. Whereas ours were very structured and, and, and planned and regimented and everything like that. And that was, that took a little getting used to. And then, yeah, I, I think, I actually think I, I underperformed a little bit my freshman year just for, for what I was expecting coming into school. Um, I, I did play some decent golf, but I, I, I was looking for a little bit more, um, because I would, I had played really good in high school, and I was really coming in with with a little bit of a hot hand. And then mm-hmm. you life happens, and you kind of, I felt like I struggled a little bit, but I still played okay. Um, I was really happy with with my freshman year for the most part, but I think it could have been better, and I think I could have learned done some things better. But that stuff taught me. Mm-hmm. My freshman year taught me a lot for the rest of my career there. Yeah, it's definitely about learning the lessons for sure. <clears throat> you can apply that to the game of golf as well. I, I want to move to because I was reading up on an article, and really the. You know, I was reading Billy Mack was talking about the putt that sort of and the victory that launched your career was at Bulls Bay in spring of 2015 when you scored your first collegiate victory there. Just kind of talk about, again, the role that played in your career, because, again, I, I think that even that even to the success you had had to that point, that really like got the ball rolling for you. Just, just kind of talk about the importance of that. Yeah, I've always been, for whatever reason, at every level, whether it be high school, junior golf, amateur golf, everything, it's always taken me a while to get comfortable and kind of figure things out. I mean, once I won in junior golf for at, at a relatively high level, they all come in, in pretty big spans. They all come pretty quick right after the other. Same thing happened in college. It was starting to weigh on me a little bit that I hadn't won a golf tournament in college after winning so much in junior golf and amateur golf. I really, that was kind of starting to put some pressure on me. I was starting to put some pressure on myself that was a little bit just, it wasn't warranted. I didn't need it. It was making things a little bit tougher than it needed to be. And Billy Mack walked me, walked with me the whole, that whole golf tournament. Mm-hmm. And I got into a playoff with a guy named Gavin Green. And uh, I can't remember the other guy, but I think Gavin Green, who's on the European tour now, is a heck mm-hmm. of a player. 
Um, but I hit this wedge up there at about eight feet and I, and I, and I hit it and I, and I thought it was going to leave short. I thought I left it short and barely rolled into the hole. I gave Billy Mack this big hug and I won. And, and after that, things just kind of started to open up. And then I started to be comfortable with where I was at. Then I started to, to gain some confidence that I, that the player that I was in junior golf and amateur golf is still the player that I could be in college and beyond. And it, and it's, it's been true in my, in my short PGA tour career for, for now. I mean, it took me three or four years to kind of figure out what was going on and how to do things. And then you start to win at this level and you can start to creep up another level. It's just taken me time to get accustomed and, and, and comfortable with where I'm at and what, what my routine is and being confident enough that you can win on every level. And that's been throughout my entire career, but that, that did launch the rest of my college career for sure. And, the, and it, it gave me the confidence now that I can look back. And at that, I've done this at every single level, done it in junior golf, amateur golf. I did it in college golf. It took me a while in college golf, but it, right. it got there. And so I, it's given me the trust that I can do it in the PGA tour level at the corn Ferry level, whatever level I need to do. I've, I've had success everywhere I've been. Yeah. So switching gears, Matt, how much would you say if you had to pinpoint a percentage how much of the game is mental? Because, again, obviously there's a skill set, and we all know how hard the game is. And, again, I'm sure the people tuned in right now, probably a lot of weekend warriors or people that, you know, play, <laughs> play golf every now and then, whatever. You know what I mean? We all love the game. But, I mean, it is such a mental grind. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like definitely, you know, especially at college, but I, I would feel each level you go up, it's like the mental side is what really separates the great players from – and they're all really great players, but, like yeah. – it's that small, like that mental edge. It's what made Tiger arguably the greatest of all time. It's just that mm-hmm. mental toughness. Like what percentage would you say is, is the game is like just purely mental? It's a lot. I mean, it, it, I, don't, I don't think people even realized how much it was mental until Tiger kind of came on the scene. Right. Um, prayers up to him, by the way, man. Yeah. He's, yeah, uh, sure. I, got, I saw him on Saturday at, at Riv and he, he's, it's just awesome to have him back out there yeah. for a little while. You we were looking for him forward to him in the masters, but I got off track a little bit, but I was just, I was just thinking no, about it. Sure. No, for sure. Um, yeah. I don't think people really realized the mental capacity of the game until tiger came on tour. I mean, everybody was, no one really wanted to talk about it. Golf was golf was a real, it wasn't a manly sport by any stretch of the, of stretch of the imagination, but it was, it was very like, Oh, just, just be a man and go get it done. Like you just, just kind of don't just, sack up pretty much is what everybody always said and so um when he kind of started being able to come on tour and people started learning about mental toughness and what his dad did and kind of how he taught him to be just a warrior pretty much especially on the golf course it's it's extremely extremely important especially each level you creep up because people are so close in everything else everybody's a really good driver of the golf ball everybody puts it really good everybody chips it good hits their irons good so the biggest way to separate yourself is by being mentally tougher than everybody else. Mm. And the best players in the world are extremely mentally tough. They have a short memory. They just, nothing really rattles them. They, they, they make two or three bogeys early and they just, they're just patient. And that's golf is very much about patience because you never know when it's going to happen. You never know if you're going to play. I mean, we, we play and we, we, I mean, we play 72 all events. You never know if you're going to play really mediocre for, 54 holes and then all of a sudden it's going to click on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like I finished six at Puerto Rico last year. This is a year ago now. 
and I played very, very average for the entire, for the entire tournament. And I birdied my last five holes to finish sixth <laughs> and turned into a great event. And it's just right. like, it's just the patience to kind of run through that whole week of six days and just be extremely patient to go the last five holes and make five birdies in a row and jump up 20, 25 spots. So I think, I think it's extreme patience. It's, where you send the where you send your energy. I mean, some people get really angry and it helps them. Some people get really angry and it doesn't, and it makes them shoot 90. I mean, it just depends. It's just, it's just a lot of trial and error and really, and really being stubborn in how you talk to yourself and how you treat yourself and how patient you can be. Yeah. Some guys flip the club like Wesley Bryant. So yeah, yeah <laughs> I, exactly. I gave him a lot. Of, I gave him a lot of crap for that last time we had him on, which that was actually a really funny conversation, but back to uh, Matt, back to your game caught career. I, I do want to talk about that senior year. Cause again, like you said, after Bulls Bay, you got it rolling again, first game cock in program history to earn ping first team, all American honors. Um, and I thought this was interesting too. 36 of your 37 rounds counted um, as a member of the Gamecocks lineup in 12 turns, which if people don't realize what, I think it's like six guys play and four scores count in every tournament, something like that. Five, five guys play okay. and four scores count. So that's a big deal though. I want people to like, that's a really, really big deal. That means you were playing a lot of golf, a, a lot of great golf, very consistently. But again, when you look back on that senior year, again, you got it rolling. And then, like I said, the accolade of first Gamecock in program history earned ping first team All-American honors. Um, I'm sure that meant a lot to you then, but looking back now, like when you reflect on that senior year, especially how special was that year for you? It was extremely special. It was, it was extremely special. I'd always, that was kind of my goal coming in to college, whether it be freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year to be, to be one of the best, best players in the country. Um, and everything kind of came to a head that, that, that fall and spring, I just played really consistent, consistent mm -hmm. golf. I played really solid. Billy Mack helped me a ton. Um, and then we, and then we were solid also. I mean, we, we were, we were pretty, we were pretty solid. We went to, I think we finished fifth at the national championship, which was the highest we'd ever finished as, as a team. So um, it was just nice. To, I mean, that's just always been my, I've always been extremely consistent at every single level, whether it be winning or kind of playing like crap. And if I play like crap, I just get consistently playing like crap, kind of what happened to me in Canada and, and kind of the first start of my career. But once I kind of find it, I get very consistent in that, in that regard. And that's kind of what happened that year. I was able to just kind of relax, be patient, be really, really confident in how things were going and just enjoy my senior year. I mean, it, I mean, there's nothing better than being a senior in college. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's especially in Columbia, South Carolina and wearing a game cock on your chest. It's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, I, I was going to say, your game was obviously in a pretty good spot when you got on campus your first year, but where do you feel like it evolved the most from that freshman year to that senior year? Well, I got stronger. Um, uh, we, we, we hit the weight room. I got stronger. See, people people wouldn't believe further. golfers work out, right? <laughs> <laughs> they don't believe it. And, and trust me, we didn't uh, want to believe it when we had to work out at 6 a.m. <laughs> on Monday and Wednesday. Uh, that, those those were no fun, I can promise uh, you. Um, but, yeah, we, we did. We, we, we had to kind of get, get going, and I got stronger. Um, Billy Mack really helped me with my golf swing. I, my, I tightened up kind of my ball striking. I drove it a little bit better. I hit my irons a little bit better. I became a little bit of a better chipper. Um, and then I was a little bit streaky with the putter. Um, it just depended on whether I had a good week with the putter or just an average week. So I think I, I, I got better in every category as I went through school. Billy Mack was an incredible teacher and 
still is to this day and taught me a lot. And I was able to learn from him and, and even, and going through kind of when we were playing golf, I learned a lot from him, just him walking with me, kind of telling me just certain things around how course management works and, and how to, how to scrounge out around when you're not really playing that well. I think that's the most important part in, in golf because we don't play, we don't play really good very often. Right. We, we play very average a ton and you got to find out how, you can turn very average to pretty good because it's just not going to be there all the time. It's just, just like having a bad shooting day or bad, bad. It's just too hard of a game. It's just too hard hard of a game. game. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're, I'm the only one out there. I can't, I can't call in a sub to have somebody come putt for me. You know what I mean? It's, (laughs) it's just too hard of a game. There's a lot of variables. So it, it, it was just, he was very invaluable in teaching me a lot of course management and just, I got better in every aspect. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, you turned pro in 2016, like we talked about the adjustment from, you know, amateur golf, junior golf to college, but that jumped to the professional level. And you talked about the corn Ferry tour and all these mini tours. And again, it was from 2016 all the way until late 2019 when you got that PGA tour card. And it's funny, I think people think about, you know, they think about professional golf and they, they think of Phil Mickelson and they think of Jordan Spieth and they think of Dustin Johnson and, you know, all these guys, all these names we know and, the successes they've had and like the the money, if you will, because you can make a pretty good living, obviously, as, as you're doing right now. But it is a gr- it's just like like you said, like minor league baseball. It's a grind on the grind or you're you're doing all your own traveling like you're basically your own business owners. How you could kind of look at it. I mean, you're you're putting your own money into it like you're, you're putting. You know, I'll never forget. I, I you know, when I used to caddy part time out at Sage Valley, obviously, as we talked mm-hmm. off air. I remember I, I caddied for this guy that, you know, he he was talking about. He played on mini tours, and he probably shot like 65 at Sage. And, I mean, just on a casual day, had to hit his driver like 360. But he <laughs> told me, he was like, dude, I just got tired of putting for dinner. Like, that's really what mm-hmm. it was. And I just – that mental – like, just, just talk about that, man. Again, that mental grind. I'm sure you had a great support system behind you, which I think is super important. But, I mean, it, it's – it's a true grind, man. There's no question. I got a lot of respect for the guys that really battle it out on those mini tours and just sort of make it happen like you did. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, it is It is absolutely a grind. I mean, you just I, – I was very lucky to to have some good sponsorships coming out of school and, and was able to kind of pay my way and just, and just give myself some time to play. But there are a lot of guys that don't have that. And there are a lot right. of guys that are, that are trying as much as they can. Like there's a guy who uh, – who just played at a uh, Riviera named Willie Mack, um, who is, who lived in his car, lived in his car for two years playing mini tour golf, just because he's like, do I want to play in the next event? Cause it's expensive as all get out. I mean, right, that's, right. that's the worst part about it. It's so expensive to play and especially mini tour golf. I mean, we're not having people pay for our meals and pay, right. give us per diem and hotels and this, that, and the other, you, you have to do it any way you can, you see fit. And he said, well, do I want to, keep playing and bank as much money as I can to really chase my dream? Or do I want to, do I want to just kind of put it up and try and go get a job somewhere? And he, and he decided to, to live in his car for, for two years and keep playing and won the money list both years, which was incredible for, for going through that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's unbelievable, but yeah, it is, it is 100% a grind. Cause you just never know when it's going to happen. It can happen so fast. Just like, just like the Jordan Spieth of the world that just kind of come out of college, get going and boom, they're on the PJ tour. Right. Right. And then you have guys like there's a guy named Scott Harrington, who's 40 yeah. on the PGA tour and it's just, <laughs> and he's a rookie. 
I mean, it, that guy has just grinded it yeah. out and just never lost faith. You got to, you got to love to golf play. at that point. You got to love absolutely, golf. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you just, the, the belief system that he's got to be like, Hey, I can do this. I can make it to the PGA tour year in and year out when I'm sure all his friends and all his guys are like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Go, go get a job, go do yeah. something else. Like, like yeah. this is not where it is. And, and, but it, 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 that is the craziest part. It just can happen so fast. You can have your dream job at 23 or you have to wait 25 years to even have a chance at it. I mean, and it, it is a grind. I've spent six weeks on the road. This is my first week home. Um, I did six weeks in a row and it just, it's, it's, it's exhausting. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else in the world. Right. I'm very passionate about it, but it, it is very tiring, especially when the job security is not, Right, right. It's not what it, what uh what it is in some other sports. <laughs> yeah, I was I, like I said, I mean, I, I got nothing but respect for those guys, I man. I I really do admire the determine. I think that's a great life lesson too. Like you said, it, it some, some for some people it happens at this point. Some people it happens at this point. You just you can't. You just got to keep your head down and keep it moving. Keep uh, going. On the, yeah, on the golf course for you specifically, was it much different? I mean, was it still just golf? I mean, obviously the competition. You know that 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 level of competition raises, but for you specifically yourself, I mean, obviously you know, you know, you're you're always you're always trying to improve. You're always trying to get better, the best in the world. You know, you have to continue to get better every single day. But for you, I mean, was it still like, all right, we're just playing golf? I mean, it's it's just golf at the end of the day. Yeah, for me, it's mostly always been comfortability. I've always had I've always had the talent to play at every level. I've, yeah. I've been lucky enough to to have had great coaches going up. Mm -hmm. Billy Mack, my dad. Gary, who I work with now, Gary Crescent at Augusta Country Club. I mean, I've had I've had the luxury of having some extremely good teaching, but also having some talent to go with it. And then for me, it's always been comfortability. Can I get comfortable? Because if I'm not comfortable where I'm at, I don't have the confidence I need to do what I need to do. And that has been the biggest change for me is once once I was once once I do it once then I have the confidence I can do it again. It's just exactly like winning golf tournaments and at college, it was once I did it once, then the, then the floodgates start to open. I, I know how to do it. I've done this before. I can do it again. I know I'm good enough to beat anybody who's playing in this event. And that's the same exact thing on the PGA tour. It's a little bit harder to win because guys are so much better, but it's the exact same thing. It was me trying to get comfortable with where I'm at. I mean, you just don't know. It's like you show up at the PGA tournament. You're like, all right, here you go. And it's like, all right, well, am I good enough to, am I good enough to play out here? Am I good? Do I, am I mentally strong enough to play out here? Do I know how to travel? Do I know how to do practice rounds? Can I do this? Yeah. It's the giant question. And until I was able to kind of, for me, a big, a big thing for me was making my first cut at uh, Vegas in 20 and 2019. That was the first cut I'd made on a PJ tournament. I was one for like, not, I had made no cuts in like nine or 10 events. Mm -hmm. And I made that cut. And then once I made that cut, it was, it was, it was gangbusters. I'm right. I, I was comfortable. I could figure everything out. I can do this. I can, I can play out here. And then I finished top 10 a few, a few times. And it's like, all right, I can win out here. We just got to get there. But once I do it, I can get comfortable enough and get enough confidence to get going in myself that this is what, this is what I can do. And this is what I'm capable of. Yeah. And you got that PGA tour card late 2019, Matt, just, just kind of give us all an idea how that came about. Again, I have to imagine that's kind of like getting the call again in the baseball since you've been, you've been called up to the big leagues. You know, that's like, yeah. such a, that's such a moment. Like all, again, it was three years in the making for you, basically all, all that work finally had paid off. Just kind of talk about, cause I'm sure you kind of felt it. You were getting close, but then to officially get the card, just talk about that moment. 
Well, it was it was kind of it was kind of weird. Like the 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 whole corn fairy year was. I, I wasn't exactly thinking of the PGA tour. I didn't think I was quite ready for the PGA tour yet, just because mm-hmm. I had never done anything. I had, I had played Canada twice. I'd lost my card both times. Right. I had never kept a card on any sort of, on any sort of tour. So I didn't know what could. So my whole goal for the corn Ferry tour was to keep my card and be able to play another year out there to continue to start learning. And I played. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.